Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Roldorf Cafe podcast. This is a watch industry discussion between two watchmakers hidden in the bowels of the Bentle Center here in Vancouver, British Columbia. In this episode, we will be discussing chronometry. So hopefully we'll answer all those nagging questions that you had about chronometer standards and what is a chronometer, or at least things will become a little bit more clear. This is a two-part episode because there's tons to talk about. So this is part one. Uh, so thank you for joining in and we really hope you enjoy the show. Wow, that's a catchy theme song, isn't it? Hi everybody, this is Howie and uh, Jason with uh, the Raldorf Cafe podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is episode 12. 12. Hey, oh. we, got, we got here again. Isn't that great? We're so efficient. Yes. And we keep our word. Hey, we, we have. Yeah. And this episode we're dedicating to chronometry. Right. Which is a topic that comes up from time to time. From time to time. Oh, oh pardon the puns. We don't sorry. make enough time puns, I don't, I don't think. No, we should. Actually, we should do a whole episode on, on time, time puns. It's a great idea. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this this is this is um, an interesting episode in that we actually are looking at some different standards mm -hmm. and what they really mean uh, to the average person and mm -hmm. uh, what it means to the companies that that uh, are putting their watches through these tests, these chronometric tests, right. and okay. chronometric tests plus, which we'll, we'll call right. value-added tests. Right, and I, yeah, I guess the topic being like an agreed, an agreed standard in some way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, so... Uh, we can get to that. So I think... We'll, we'll forego the, the typical stuff that we've, we've been doing with what's going on on the bench and stuff like that because it's a fairly fairly big topic. Right. But what we should do is do a wrist check. Are you wearing a watch? Uh, yep. Are you wearing a watch? I, I am, yes. Is it on the right time? I think so, yes. Is it uh, plus or minus negative four to plus six I, probably not by now because i've i've been bashing this watch around okay so uh no it's probably but it probably, was it i'm sh it was when it came out of the case i'm sure yes came out of the case came out of the the watch box okay when i first got it nice yeah so you smacked it with your belt and bounced around across canada in the land rover driving across and and fly fishing and Right. Working on the car and stuff like that. Right. Good. That brings up a... Uh, uh, wait, date. Date? Is, no, is, no date on this one. Yeah. Today is... Today's... Today's, today's today. Today's today. It's Thursday. It is. Yeah. And uh, I, I can't really tell by mine because I'm not wearing my glasses and the date's too small to see. All right. It is today, though. But it... It, it today is today. Yes, has been good. Does your watch tell you that? Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's high um, level. That's, that's it's way too high level. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so uh, yes, chronometers. Okay. 
chronometers. This, this is a very interesting topic, and I think a lot of people don't have necessarily an understanding of what it means to be a chronometer, right? It's more than just uh, a mechanical watch. It needs to go through some tough testing, right? It does. I, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, right. because the testing involves having the watch in different positions. Right. Um, or at least, let me, let me just back up here. So there's, there's some common things with regard to the testing. Between the different, well, before we even get to that, okay, do we want to talk about the different, the different bodies that test, the different, the different names, the different people that test, the different requirements? The number one thing I think people most associate with chronometers is the COSC certification. Yes. Would you agree out there, uh, podcast world? I think so. Yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the buzzword right. um, around town for for the average person that that has some knowledge about watches. They they automatically think COSC. It it's all about Swiss movements, right? And it's tested in Switzerland. And it's tested in Switzerland. Yeah. So I guess for a watch to be COSC certified as a chronometer, it it has to be a Swiss made watch. It has to be a Swiss made. And tested in Switzerland, yes. and then at that point, the watch earns the right to put the word chronometer on the dial. Correct, and yeah. also it needs some form of self-identification in it too. So, if you look at any COSC-tested movement, it will actually have some kind of serial number that was put on there by the uh, manufacturer. To, on the movement itself. On, on the, the movement itself. So, aside from the caliber that's found on the movements, typically underneath the, uh, the balance, mm -hmm. there'll be somewhere around that balance cock or the outside of the, uh, the movement, an additional set of numbers like a serial number. And that is the number that, that COSC uses to identify that particular movement with regard to its tests. So it'll be a unique, a unique number. Right, and, and it's kind uh, of laser, laser engraved at this point or whatever. Yeah. Okay, and like Rolex, beautifully adorned, right. we'll call it. So a Rolex will typically have that as well under one. Absolutely, of yes. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. So the, also another thing to add with regard to Kosk is that um, it's a test for both mechanical and quartz watches, whereas other tests oh, yes. aren't necessarily that. Totally. Yeah, so they just take the mechanical side of it. Okay, so in that way, the word chronometer, would, would that be connected to a quartz watch as well? Or yeah, it, it would be at, at that point, yes. For, for, uh, for COSC, yeah. quartz certification, chronometer. Yeah. But okay. for the interest of this conversation, I think we'll just keep it to mechanical watches, yeah. um, because I think that's what most people right now sure. are, are interested in. And in, As far as this discussion it. goes, but I mean, we could, we could definitely go into a lot more of it. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Okay, so COSC. It would be kind of the leading industry standard, or not, in the, but the buzzword, uh, Swiss watch. Yes. So what's, what's another standardization? So then there's ISO, ISO, um, ISO 3159. So we're starting to see this one uh, quite a bit more mm -hmm. as other manufacturers that are outside of Switzerland um, are making making movements and making efforts and to efforts have to a chronometer watch. Yeah, absolutely. But what's interesting and we about 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 ISO three one five nine is international. So Swiss could potentially 
use ISO 35592 to yeah. certify their watches. Yeah, and I think ISO 35 is is also sort of a uh, a baseline set of tests. So many of the other standards sort of leverage the the um, the testing methodology of uh, 3159 and then put their own numbers to it per se. So ISO is an international standards organization, ISO. So it is something that can be adopted by by any company anywhere else in the world. It's a, it, and there are many ISO standards and then it can be for, for anything from, from you know, uh, cleanliness of, of uh, medical equipment um, to to watches anything like right. that. There's there's probably a standard for it. Is it, is this standard though similar to Cosk, where you have to it's tested in one place, kind of thing where you send the watch to them, whoever does the testing and where I don't even know where that is, and then they go through their tests in a controlled environment. In a controlled and environment, stamp, and stamp then the the seal of a that, ISO approval. That that's right. Yeah, and there's there's um, typically seven parts to the to the test to the basic ISO test, uh, which we'll we'll get into uh, in just a sec. Mm -hmm. The next one would be uh, probably lesser known, the, the uh, DIN eight three one nine. Okay. That one is specifically for German manufacture watches. Mm -hmm. um, DIN is is very much like ISO, but for German manufacturers through many different industries. So, for example, for the scuba divers out there, you'll see uh, uh, a DIN standard on uh, cylinders uh, um, uh, for your air cylinders or your mixed gas cylinders, mm -hmm. uh, which means that it, it those cylinders actually meet meet a particular uh, standard. Um, that is the D German industrial standard, standard which is the uh, Deutsche Industrienorm, uh, and then the eight three one nine just is relevant to, you know, in this case, uh, watches, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's tested in Glashut, probably, and right? it is tested in Glashut, yeah. Glashutter with um, uh, uh, sort of under the the auspice of the observatory there, um, which was purchased by Wemper. Who is the, the one of the largest uh, yeah. watch retailer, watch and diamond so, retailers? So, Nomos, when they did that one chronometer watch, yes, that wasn't tested on the DIN. That was the ISO three hundred five nine, was it? Wasn't it? Um, no, I think that was actually the A three one nine. I could be wrong on that. I haven't actually looked at that right. uh, specifically. It would make sense because it's. A German brand and it's it, 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 it would right. and then there are other standards which are not just looking at the chronometric side of things mm. they're also looking at um, quality of material at the craftsmanship yeah um, and uh, there's a few like that so for example the Geneva seal right. is uh, is is that which um, looks at both the chronometric side and also the finishing, uh, the finishing and, the and stuff like that, but but also it has to be produced in in the Canton of Geneva. So um, so that 
that that in itself is unique. Then also there's also the Fleurier one, which is very similar to uh, the Geneva seal for yeah. watches that are made in uh, Fleurier and away, away you go there. Now, and then, you know, listeners are, are more than welcome to, uh, uh, to correct us. You know, but yeah, you know, please, when, yeah, we, we, we're 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 not an authority. We're just no, we're, we're just, just, we're just sh- shooting the breeze. Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting conversation because yeah. my thoughts are, are are you know go towards. I mean, yeah, thinking about about what it means to be a chronometer. At at one point, I was very much much about if it's not a cost, then you can't call it a chronometer, right? Mm. And in some ways, I still feel that way, just because it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really like show any originality, or not originality. It's not the word. It's like it doesn't show consistency in in where we look and who we look to to give authority on certain things. Right. Right. Like, um, but also, cost is limited themselves, where they only test Swiss watches. Is that correct? And movements only. And movements only. Yes. So it's only Swiss, only movements. Yeah. So and this is where I, where I like the ISO is that it's like it tests anybody. I think. Uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can just like if you make a movement in your garage and you want to get it, you can send it to get certified or get tested. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and I like that, and I don't. I, I I do think it's silly that you know in order to get certain. Uh, chronometer certifications you have to have it made in one place specifically it has to be you know it, it's it's like it's limiting and i think the swiss are reactionary when it comes to that but um, it wasn't even it wasn't even the quartz watches like seiko at, at, the, at the end of the 60s when they were doing the final testing seiko was killing it as well mm-hmm. like in the mechanical field you know and then then when that when that when they cut that competition, Seiko of course went on to to develop the cor- the quartz as we know it, mm-hmm. and they also kept pushing through mechanical watches, and then they also developed their own standardization, right? Uh, the, uh, Japanese, uh, uh, which I don't think exists anymore. I forget what it's called. Uh, J I S S, I think, or J S I I. Yeah. Anyways, it's uh, it's just another way for people to. To focus on on what what's a quality timekeeper and how can we explain that in some way? And I think this is this is where it all all sort of goes, right? right. Um, having having the ISO standard being a a global standard, mm-hmm. sort of a, a um, I, I wouldn't say a minimum set because I mean to to to, to meet the ISO standard, it's still an incredible feat yeah right an absolutely incredible feat but many many of the other standards sort of use that as the base and then then build on top of it this is where we start start getting into um, super yeah so uh, and it and and it start and and it it then sort of breaches into the realm of marketing um as well now as value added because uh, it then is something that that can make certain manufacturers stand out in the pack mm-hmm. uh, from from everybody else, um, and this is where sort of the master chronometer and um, Rolex's uh, superlative chronometer standard yeah. um, 
then start to come out because then it's more than than just you right. know the the baseline standard of of movement only testing um, in particular in a particular environment over fifteen days, right. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So. Dive, dive. There's the warning that we're about to go on a deep dive. So there are seven criteria within the standard ISO chronometry test, which then boils down into uh, cost, etc., etc. First one is the daily average rate, then mean variation in rates, greatest variation in rates, the difference between rates in horizontal and vertical positions, the largest variation in rates, the variation in rate depending on temperature and rate resumption. Okay, now returning you to the podcast. So let's 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 do one at a time. Average daily rate that's tested in just like how is that, how is that tested? Are they looking at the different positions and then doing an average? Yeah. So 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 what's what they're doing there? They're they're, they're looking at the time down to one tenth of a second. The yeah. timing one tenth of a second as compared to uh, an atomic clock standard yeah. so um, so you know it's it's a it's a it's a um, an average of the first 10 days um, in different positions in the different positions going from minus four and it has to be within minus four to plus six seconds per day and that as is an the, average over the, the first uh, 10 days right and that timed to the, the ato uh, an atomic clock standard. Um, the, the next test is sort of mean variation, which is uh, sort of the deviation from, from, the, uh, from one day to the next. So a day-to-day -day variation. Yeah. Um, and that, that's quite different because if you if you look at those those two so average daily rate and mean variation um, for those people that are actually uh, have actually done any kind of target shooting uh, archery and, and and stuff like that um, this ex this analogy will, will will explain it quite quite nicely because um, sort of your average daily rate is like you know, you're, you're shooting at a bullseye mm -hmm. and you're seeing how close you can actually get uh, to the bullseye. So if you're a darts player, you're trying to, you're, you're throwing your darts and you want to hit that bullseye and you're, you're grouping around that one center point, mm -hmm. okay? And the center point is your atomic clock, right? That, 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 that standard. Right. Whereas your mean variation is like, is saying okay, so you're not exactly testing um, or, or shooting at the um, the bullseye, but you're seeing how tightly you can actually group, say, seven seven rounds or seven shots or seven darts around each other, right? Right, and that's the day to day thing. So. Uh, one's going for the bullseye, the other is, 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 is that grouping, that tight grouping. But it doesn't have to be around the bullseye, it can be anywhere else on the, uh, uh, on the, on the chart. Um, and and that, that's, that, that's the key difference there. 
The next thing is, is sort of max variation um, uh, of rates. Uh, this has to be less than um, less than five seconds um, in variation, and that's yeah. over, over over two days. Over two days. Yeah. So, uh, so 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 that's the next test. Different. And, okay, yeah. yeah. Then number four is difference between rates, which uh, the maximum variation would be minus six to plus eight, um, and that's taking the first two days of tests, day one and day two, and comparing it uh, to day nine and 10. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and, and that, that then when you, when you average that has to be between minus six and plus eight. Yeah. Then the fifth test is the greatest deviation, right? Which is taking your average daily rate uh, and your individual daily rate uh, based between, based on day one to ten, and uh, that has to be less than 10, 10 seconds. So um, so yeah, so that that's that. And the the next one starts getting into the temperature stuff. Um, this is you know a very a, a very relevant thing because you know when you're looking at, at what's the chronometry standards or what chronometry chronometry is really for which was navigation right now when you're jumping in a in a boat and you're you're trying to navigate into a into a cold place you you've got your temperature difference that that's going to be involved day and night differences and yeah. how how is the so right there, the timekeeper going to react right there to this is this is an example of real world relevance yeah. In, in, in as far as testing goes, right? The other ones are, are controlled environments, uh, potentially, like, I, I know there was a guy who did it in a vacuum at one point, I think, yeah. I don't remember his name, but this is where chronometer came from. Yeah. You know, um, but these kinds of tests, these are, are in the real world relevant. Yes. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's, uh, this is where it, it's using sort of, um, uh, sort of the going between eight degrees and thirty-eight degrees yeah. um, per degree, and it's per degree that that can't it can be plus or minus point six seconds um, per degree. Uh, that's the maximum variation that you point can, six seconds. Point six seconds. That's wild. Yeah, I know when they when when um, they started doing the balance of the two materials. Was like the gold and the steel or whatever. Yeah, by by metallic. By metallic, it to to counteract the effects of, of temperature on the balance, right? Yeah, that's wild. That's some that's some wild science right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but when now, you, when you go back to when when that was that that's that all started, just mm -hmm. the the engineering effort to be able to to combine. Uh, two layers of metals on this like that very and a very very small thing it, yeah. it's it's pretty incredible right yeah, yeah. and uh, and also that they noticed how how temperature really did have an effect and that they were like we need to deal with this we need to do something yeah and you know for for a person to be to be able to to see that i mean they've only got to look at um uh pocket watches Right to see and the bimetallic to, yeah. to see that bimetallic split balance yeah. 
right? And uh, then yeah, yeah, you can you can see it right away. Well, and then all the the evolution of of the technology in general is to sort of match these these things as close as possible. The Breguet overcoil, to to as an you know um, a way to challenge the the effects and positions. Yeah, right? where you're not going through regulator pins, right? Where you're just doing the spring, and then of course then the tourbillon comes along and it tries to to even counteract these these things that 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 are being tested. The variations, I think that's the big thing. It's variations. Yeah, variations in length of the mainspring, variations in position, variations in temperature. Different things instead of just the watch flat in a vacuum. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, then uh, the last one, number seven, is uh, rate consumption. So it's it's looking at day one and two uh, to the end of the test, which is typically day fifteen. But a watch isn't going to be. This is a watch that's on a on a winder. Yeah. This is this is a watch that's being moved. Oh, or a, a movement that's being moved into different positions right and so they take that that right. start of day one and two and then they compare it to day 15 after it's gone through the temperature changes and that temperature test right and so at that point it's got to be and also seeing in that test how effective the automatic is working um no i no? i know that 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 we haven't got to that yet. That, that's not that's, even in the testing. That, that's not in that, that, right, that because, testing. Right, because they take the automatic work off for these tests. E, that's right. Okay, so yeah. then there's, so they're testing, okay, so then they're winding it at a specific time of day as well. So they let it go for 24 hours and then wind it, and then let it go 24 hours, wind it, or is that even change over the 15 yeah. days? Yeah, so, so, so that, uh, that's a very good question. Um, so just just one second to finish off that that last yeah, yeah. part. Okay. The the tolerance there is minus five to uh, to plus five seconds, and that's the the, the rate consumption uh, right. test for day one to two. Okay. But before all of this is done in the COSC test, um, what they do is they 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 um, take take the automatic off right at the very beginning. It's a machine wound, so no hands like. Uh, in people are actually touching and winding it. Right. This is an automated test. Yeah. So they wind it and they 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 do that and don't actually get into the rest of the testing. So they leave it for 24 hours. So they, they just go, okay, so we're just going to let this sit here for 24 hours before we get into the meat and potatoes of the testing. So, so that's that. But at no time within the cost test are they are they really doing anything with with other than temperature with regard to external factors, sure. right? And this is where uh, um, the super testing comes in. Yeah, this is where you know the uh, the, the the master chronometer from right. Omega and uh, and and the superlative chronometer. From Rolex really starts to come in, so there are additional tests. Once the movements come back, that the manufacturers then then put the the, the watches through. Okay, so that just about wraps up the 
basic standard tests that uh, are involved in the chronometry testing for watches. Um, we decided that we were going to make this a two-part show because um, there's quite a bit more that we carried on to talk about. So please listen in to the next episode, uh, which will be coming out next week, with all the stuff about the value-added tests that uh, the big brands do uh, to the watches. And that part is really, really interesting because this is the real-world stuff that uh, the, the watches or movements are exposed to this time in cases etc etc that uh, make a big difference when you're wearing that watch on your wrist so thank you very much to listening to this episode 12a so part one of uh, the chronometry standards and uh, we'll be back at you next week